My uh, guest today has been seen on Showtime, Last Comic Standing, and is best known for his regular appearances on the syndicated Bob and Tom radio show. Please welcome to the check shop, Mr. Kostaki Economopolis. Yay! What's up, Kostaki? Hey, Chuck. How are you, man? I am good, man. Uh, it's so good to see you. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Of course. So so have you been bo- just as bored as me? <laughs> <Hanging out>? <laughs> <laughs> I have the opposite problem. It's funny. I talk to some of my buddies, and they're bored, and they're home, and they have all this time on their hands. I have a toddler, so I have the oh, op- yeah. I've never been busier. I've never had less time to myself <laughs> because there's no school. There's no babysitters. There's no preschool. There's no nothing. So well, it's been uh, it's been an interesting few months for me. Okay. That's for sure. Well, that's uh, that's exciting though. Uh, so, do you have one or two children? We have two. Okay, all right. Because I knew you were married at one time to another comedian and uh, Caroline Ray, right? Not at married, one... but yes. You oh, got you the, were you got the basic right. premise. Yeah, yeah. Got it. We, yes, yes. <laughs> you were together and wrote some jokes together and, and kid, had a child. <laughs> that's right. That kid is got now it. twelve, and <laughs> okay. uh, we have her half of the time. Okay. And there's a two-year-old that we have all of the time. So nice. we have we have one point four, one point four or five. Okay, but children. isn't that nice to uh, have this downtime now that you're, you know, I mean, it, you said you're, you're obviously watching the child all the time, so. Uh, but isn't you know normally you're on the road, so this is kind of kind of cool during these formative years that you can kind of hang out with the with the toddler. Yes, it's both. It's it's an incredible challenge because there's, I don't have enough time to do all the things professionally that I would like to do, and yet right. it's also amazing and glorious. And the kid is hilarious and adorable and fun, and so it's it's all of that at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, have you done any uh, live appearances during this uh, mess, or are you just kind of hanging out with your child? I have not. I I said no to a couple things. Uh, Several things were canceled. Several things were postponed. I haven't gone yet. I like the idea of it, but I don't think I'm ready yet. Is it uh, because of the child, maybe? Like, you don't want to bring back anything to the the, the family? Yeah, or is- that's part of it. Absolutely. And even sort of the broader notion of I'm not sure I'm ready to draw people together to be in a crowd on yeah. purpose i'm not sure that's a good idea <laughs> is it when like I, you don't want it, something to happen on your watch that's yeah. what chad daniels was saying at one time he's I like, w- he's I, like want I don't want at least... anything to happen on my watch so. right i do want to feel like i'm part of the solution and not part of the problem and what might happen is in a year or two or ten we look back and go ah we were way too cautious about some of the things along the way i <laughs> hope that's true but right now i think it's better to be cautious and i'm gonna wait I sure hope it's not ten years. Holy! <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, looking back. Okay. Oh yeah. We can All look right. back on the one weird year that ended fantastically, and everything was fine after that. Let's write it that way. Yeah, because I can't imagine uh, booking virtual comedy for nine and a half more years. <laughs> <laughs> can't yeah. imagine doing virtual comedy for that way. Have you done uh, the Zoom comedy shows? Have you done any of that? A little bit. I did one of the big uh, nowhere comedy, nowhere comedy club shows, which right. is great. Uh, a lot of my family and friends and people were there, and it was a super cool experience. I did it in May, and it'll be something that I. It's sort of for me. I hope it's like an earmark of one crazy, you know, year. Right. Um, you only I've did it once. A, I only did it once, and yeah. I, you know, I. 
it was it's way better than expected i mean people say ah it's like do you put a laugh track in no it's interactive it actually works way better than people think that it would yeah uh, i think it, if it's set up right like uh um like if you have some kind of interaction with the uh, with the audience, whatever the audience may be, whether it's ten people or a hundred, yeah, I think it can still work. I, I always kind of I've been selling them on a, the concept of like if you're gonna do a live show with Summit Comedy, our goal is to give you an A plus show every time. And and in considering if Zoom is the best next best thing, we're gonna try for a solid B plus. So, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, because right. everybody knows that it, it's not gonna be as good as a live show. So. If if you go into yeah. that knowing that hey we're gonna do the best we can to make this work and and the comedians are into it and and uh, yeah it makes and, it- and and we've come a long way as a culture in terms of accepting this as a form right. you know in May it was still new and you know there were a couple times I could hear people during the show like talking to each other like oh, I remember when he did this joke you know blah blah and you can hear it it's part of the audio that we're all hearing because people don't even understand the form yet. Uh, so I think we're past some of that. People have a little more clue about how some of this works. And yeah, well, it, it's not bad. It's it's way less good than a live comedy show. There's something very magical about that, but it is also way better than expected. Right. And some comedians haven't even jumped on board yet. And and comedians that are watching and or listening, uh, I implore you to jump into this because obviously the COVID's not going away anytime soon, and right. you got at least probably another three to six months of, you know, before the floodgates open back up into the real world. So I've enjoyed doing the offshoots of things that are a little bit like that. I mean, we've been doing our podcast in this form on Zoom. We do every Monday night, 7.30 on my Facebook page. Uh, we do a live version, and then it becomes the podcast later. The sound quality is actually really good through this sort of recording. And I'm also – I host like a thing on Wednesday nights. I do a thing called 50 Toast, which is, again, it's my Facebook fan page. It's live for an hour. I've had Jimmy Pardo and Christy Lee and Ron Sexton. It's been really cool. I did a thing about three or four years ago now in New York called 50 Lunches, which is basically just an excuse for me to get out of the house and go see a friend once a week. Okay. Uh, and so I just turned it into the virtual. It's the best thing I ever did. I highly recommend this when the world is somewhat normal again, because you know some of the most interesting people in the world. You just don't end up with them very often. And that's how I felt in New York as a father. I was like, I know some of the smartest, funniest, most creative characters ever. I just never see them anymore. Yeah. So I went and found them. It was fun. So anyway, we're, yeah, I, now that's... we're doing the virtual version of that. And that's been great. No one has to go anywhere. You get yeah. to talk to a friend for an hour. It's, it's been fun. It's just a good way to catch up. And yeah, I love it. So uh, so yeah, so speaking of that, so um, you and I got started around the same time in the comedy business. Uh, so you, did you... I know you went to school in Georgia. Is that where you're yeah. from originally? Yeah, I I actually I'm here now. Um, okay. I grew up in this house uh, that I'm visiting for an extended period right now. Okay. Um, I basically from high school on, I was in this house in uh, Marietta, Kennesaw area, uh, and then I went to the University of Georgia, and then I stayed at the University of Georgia. They gave me some money to go to grad school, so I stayed and got my master's in political science. Uh, and during that time I was an open micer and, you know, we, we built a little thing called the amateur comedians club at the university of Georgia okay. and we would run around and yell at people in the streets at bus stops and tell them to come see our shows. Actually, I literally bought a bullhorn once and we did a sandwich board once just to embrace the ridiculousness of it. 
and we would charge a dollar just so we could pay for the flyers for the next show in two weeks. And, you know, that was, it was a great place to be terrible. As you know, the, the learning curve for a new comedian is pretty fucking steep. Right. So it was nice to have a safe place to be, you know, terrible for a while. Yeah. <laughs> comedian Derek Blackman, can you see this on the screen? It says, uh, Kostaki was on my bucket list to open for, and now that bucket has a hole in it. A <laughs> <laughs> couple years, Derek. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so when did you graduate uh, grad school? I finished grad school in the summer of 93. Okay. And by like the first month or two of 94, I was on the road pretty much full time. Okay. Now in that era, what the what the uh, folks might not remember or know is in that time the club the clubs were full weeks. You would, it was very typical for a club to be open Tuesday to Sunday or Monday to Saturday or something. And I would book two, three, four, five weeks in a row. I would just go to Tulsa and then up to Minneapolis and then Indianapolis and then Raleigh and then I would just pack my car. I was you know early twenties. You just fucking go and. <laughs> right. uh, you know, nowadays, most clubs are just open two or three nights, yeah, so it's, it's a different beast. But in those days, when you went on the road, you went on the road. You were gone for a while. Yeah, well, and that reminds me, like, when I first started, uh, I started with the Comedy Zone, uh, fresh out of college myself, and I, I was in 95. So here's a story that uh, I mentioned before we came on air. So <laughs> the other day, I was wearing um, just some pants you know you, you had that those, those articles of clothing that you just wear outside and when you're working in pants, the yard that's good you've come yeah. a long way from yeah. the pandemic <laughs> i'm wearing pants now yeah we're just uh you know it's my outside you know little jogger pants when you're out like <laughs> raking leaves or some shit and um i looked at these pants i was like man i've had these forever and i was like you know what I got these pants from Kostaki Economopolis. No way! I shit you not that you bought me a uh, a jump like a running tracksuit. Um, it was a it was a it was a <laughs> shirt and pants. I don't have the shirt anymore, but I do have the pants. Um, what? For for a Christmas present through the the Comedy Zone, um, and I still have it to this day. I swear to God, I should have brought it into the podcast. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. So and they fit great, and <laughs> I love it. So it's a gift that keeps on giving. And I was like, that's when I, I, that's when I said, you know what? These came from Kostaki. It's like, I got to reach out to him. It's going to uh, be like 25 years ago. Dude, yeah. It was 95. So, yeah. It was exactly when it was. Crazy. <laughs> Christmas <laughs> under 25. I think it was the Christmas uh, present of uh, 95. So <laughs> you're, like, you're like the old greasing of the wheels uh, with the agent. and um, But you know what? You always, I remember you and a couple other comics that were always good for like good um, gifts. Not for bribing per se, but you know. <laughs> We did have a lot of work with the Comedy Zone. Oh, I was yeah. working with them, and, and well, I, I was from I was in Atlanta. I mean, you were yeah. you were right. You were you know pretty yeah, much yeah, so eight would, hour drive in every direction from me. There was a Comedy Zone gig somewhere. Right. So we would uh, you just I'd always hook you up, and I was like, well, you know, the the option with me and Half were always like, hey, well, you know, we're going to book the funny people, but you know, if you give us a nice present, dude, <laughs> that's, it's kind of a you know it's. It's kind of a no-brainer. That's hilarious. I, I don't remember that at all. That's really funny to yeah, hear well, that. See, you were doing everything right. I guess you took a good marketing class. And I guess so. Here's <laughs> so. another thing the civilians won't believe. In the old days, you, I mean, the, the new comedians today, they, they get a YouTube clip and they just click and they email it. 
in the old days, you'd have to send a package with a VHS tape and a paper bio and a headshot. And it was like this giant thing. I, literally this room, it's the bonus room of my mom's house. I would lay out, first of all, you have to sweat to get a tape that you want to send out. That's the hardest thing. But then you finally get one and then you go and duplicate it. You make 45 of them. And then you, you know, spend three or four days addressing things that you found in the newspaper. I think it was called, there was a newspaper of comedy clubs that was called Just for Laughs or something. Yeah, I, um, I don't know if that was it, but I do remember that too. The punchline or something the in the back line. of it. I think it it had a list of like all the right. clubs in the country with their phone yes. numbers. You yeah. call, you get the addresses, you mail tapes all over the place. Uh, and then uh, and then it would turn into four gigs, you know, yeah. 45 tapes. Uh, if you were lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky and hopefully those gigs you did over and over again and then those grew into another thing and then another six months you got a better tape that you were embarrassed you sent the prior one then you send that tape and, and you would have crazy... to also pay uh 25 dollars to have it uh viewed at some places <laughs> oh that i didn't do I'm, I'm never i'm not guilty of having ever done that 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 was uh one of the i don't want to say scams because scams is a tough, a tough word. That was but, a uh, little newer. Like that, when, that, I, when, when I, I was an open micer, that didn't really happen yet. That came yeah. along later, I think. Let's say it was an investment. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't my uh, deal. But when I started with said company, uh, when I first started in the business, <laughs> I just thought it was funny that that, that you had to put twenty five dollars in, and then and then I'd have to watch them all, and I didn't make any of that money. And then I remember, <laughs> I remember asking uh, the owner at the time, Brad Greenberg. I go, hey. You know, I got to sit and watch all these and, and half of them are just purely shit. So oh, of course. I was like, this is brutal. And he's like, hey, you got to, you know, got to mine for these diamonds, these comedy diamonds. So uh, I, I negotiated and me and Hef did like, hey, we're getting five dollars each from each one of these. At least. We're going to watch <laughs> these. So and that's that's a true story. And then we would collect said VHS tapes um, of the the worst ones. And like, you know, if it made the top 10 latest in the stack. And we had some just gems, and you know, I wish we still had oh, those. But, I've um, seen some of those. You think the guy in his own basement, and he sets up a thing. And yeah, some of them are so bad. Uh, let me tell you a story that you'll enjoy on your side of the desk. <laughs> now, as comics, we always heard like people hate the watching tapes, and no one watches the tapes. And when they do watch the tapes, they watch them for like five seconds, and like, ah, fuck this guy. And we were always bitter about that as comics. That so that was the nature of the process, and. Ah, comedy bookers. All you gotta do is watch a few tapes. Stop being so whiny. People are out there struggling and trying to be creative, and you guys won't even blah blah blah. Cut to whatever it was. Fifteen years later, I'm at the uh, I'm at the Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. Okay, Lewis Lee's one yeah. of my heroes. He's been great to me all these years. He's got this wall of VHS tapes, and one day I was sitting there joking around with him in the afternoon. And uh, I go, do you watch him? He goes, ah, you know, you can tell pretty quick if someone's a hack or not. Once in a while, we'll watch a few. And so I gave him shit for even saying that. Like, you don't even give him a chance. I start putting them in. I can't tell you how fast they came out. <laughs> First of all, you he still had the machine. You still had the VHS machine. If you need to watch that tape or not. I couldn't believe how fast I became the thing that I complained about on the other side. So... How, how many of how many of your VHS tapes were, were sitting in his office? Did you, you know, it's this? funny. I I think he had one or two in there still from like wait because I worked. I got in from a guest set, which is more of the natural path, you know. Yeah. Uh, I would actually to tell you how crazy I was. 
I stopped into Minneapolis on my way to a gig that I was driving from Atlanta to. Just on the way. <laughs> I was on my way to, to North Dakota, and I I plotted it out that I stopped and did guest sets along the way. That's how committed I was at wow. the time. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I never saved the VHS tape. So, um, and I see uh, Joel Pace is watching right here, uh, and he – he, he the wall of shame. He said wall he, of shame. Has, he still has it. So, <laughs> That's great. so yeah, I, uh, I cleaned out my office years ago of all that shit, but ironically, just like two weeks ago, I got a text from Roy Wood Jr. And he oh. goes, Hey, do you have like the old tapes? And I was like, uh, no. And he's like, oh, like I, I wanted to like, he was looking for one comedian specific reel from like 10 years ago. I'm like, what the fuck? Like so random. I guess a, a said comedian accused Roy of stealing uh, um, material or whatever. Oh, he's looking for a tape of himself? So, no, he was looking for a tape of this guy. He said he's been doing this bit since whatever. So uh, he's like, okay. hey, do you save tapes from old submissions? I'm like, no. <laughs> so he wanted just a cross-reference. People do. I bet he found it somewhere. I bet he did. I mean, <laughs> holy shit. It wasn't for me, though. I remember just loading up the dumpster. But, I, yeah, I had my, you know, because remember when, like, CDs came out. I was like, oh, man, these are so much thinner. You know, it doesn't take up as much space. And, um, right. Or they or just, uh, I guess, the CD-ROMs where you can throw a video, you know, uh, on it instead of the VHS. Holy right. shit. Those are the days. <laughs> those were I, the days. I remember going to NACA conferences, and we'd have to make all those copies. Uh, we'd have those dual vhs copiers and we we just i would just shell them out and like every like if, say it's an hour and a half reel i would just you know go back in the office and and do another one and holy shit and then we have to carry a box like oh man. when i moved to la i lived in the valley and i my tape duplicator company about 90 percent of their business was adult films and so I would go in there and I had this because I would I would go every whatever six months and do another 50 tapes with them. Some tape that I got from Charlie Goodnights or whatever. And uh, the the woman who ran the thing was so cool. She would throw in a handful of the leftover porn films from the prior order as like a gift to me. <laughs> so like run off the copies. In, like, hey, in an era where porn was hard to come by. You know, remember that? <laughs> Right. Remember when it was hard to get porn? Oh, you had absolutely. to buy it or find it or be bequeathed it from an un dead uncle or something? I remember the first time my buddy uh, Scott Nishik uh, got a computer in college, and this is like 92-ish. And he's like, the first guy that had a, you know, a full computer, big screen. And then he's like, man, we can look at porn. Like, all right, cool. And like, <laughs> he, he, you download it, and then you have to come back in like an hour because it's like slowly right. the JPEG just That's slowly right unveiling the uh, the picture. I used to do a joke about that. I just remember <laughs> see if I can pull it out of my ass. Um it's act if you if you try to watch porn on dial up, it's actually faster to date a woman and ask for her hand in marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That doesn't yeah, these kids today. These kids today. These kids today with they their, get it get it so easy with their, their easy with free the, porn. With their porn hub stuff or whatever. <laughs> Whatever the go-to is <laughs> these days. Um, so, anyways, uh, <laughs> where do we segue from that? Uh, oh yeah, I got another story. I got a pants right. story. Perfect. The only another... pants story that I have even close to your pants story is one time I was uh, Tom Ryan. Remember Tom Ryan? Yeah, out of South Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, he used to live in. He used to. His manager was Bill Hicks' girlfriend. 
And okay. so there was a lot for there was a window there where she was also his uh, landlord. Like he lived in the apartment, and they were buddies, and it was this crazy thing. Uh, and so we were talking about Hicks one day, and he goes, um, "Blah blah blah." We're exchanging stories. He had all these great stories about Hicks in the early days. They were kind of friends. And he goes, he pauses, and he goes, "These are his pants. <laughs> he was wearing." <laughs> pants that had been bequeathed to him by Hicks's girlfriend. Oh my goodness. When she cleaned out the place or whatever. And he would wear them kind of fondly, you know, because he was a big fan. Tom yeah. never said fuck on stage ever once. He was a totally different style of comic, but he was still a fan of lots of different kinds of comedy and he loved Hicks. Yeah. That's, that's uh, funny. Yeah, so he hold. still wore his pants. Right I now. bet he still has those pants. I bet he does. Yeah. I, I'll throw away uh, some um, VHS tapes, but I, I would hold on to those pants. Right. You <laughs> still got pants from the biggest name in comedy here 25 <laughs> years later. <laughs> I always thought that about you, too, with your name. Kostaki Economopolis. I was like, I remember you would call, and the poor lady that uh, <laughs> at the front of the desk had to write it down. She was just like, like she was just Kostaki. Like yeah. she's not even gonna try. That's, so. I didn't even write it on the thing on the screen. I just put Kostaki. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> you just get winded. You get the idea. You know. Yeah. How I am. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, did you ever think of just going by Kostaki? You know, uh, as a stage name. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, with this name, when you're starting out, everyone tells you to change it at the beginning, always. And I just yeah. thought it was fun. You know, it was it's my real name. I didn't make it up. And and again, there are some styles, like if you're doing a character or some wacky thing, it's totally acceptable not to. But for most comics, part of the goal is to reveal yourself and be yourself and be the most you on stage. It just seemed weird to start with a fake name. You know, yeah. like intellectually, it just didn't feel right to me. Well, a lot of people are doing it now. Like, I mean, it's Sebastian Maniscalco. I think he's kind of kind of shifting towards just Sebastian. And um, uh, Elijah Schlesinger is for sure going just by Elijah now. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. Um, from I'm pretty sure of that. So, so that's at least interesting. That's they're trying in the branding aspect of it. But no, I, I get, get it. Yeah, I get, I get it, it especially too. in a modern world where things are complicated and your whole goal is to have a nice sleek line to your brand. I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. And in the old days, I used to write, for, I wrote for BET for a couple seasons. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And I, I wrote for Ricky Smiley, essentially, when he was the host. And and that year, they taped all the specials in Atlanta. People don't know this. They At the time, uh, Comic View was their highest rated show on the network. It was yeah. their flagship show. And so they would tape like 350 comics in about a month. They would do sometimes three, four, five shows in a day of several comics each and get all these into a can. And then they would show them over the course of that year on Comic View. And so we would come in and look at the lineup of the comics. And the black comics at the time were hilarious. None of them used their real names. Oh, yeah. was, I used it, to laugh at all those names too, like like Cool Bubba Ice. and Yeah. Uh, I mean, not every name, but ice cream and 85% of the names in that era on those lineups were snow cone and, you know, Samoa, and, you know, they were all not their real names. And some of them were one word, you know, yeah, some, or, yeah, so, some more earthquake, earthquake was kind of a buddy of mine as an Atlanta guy, small fry. He hung I mean, in there with now, that. Now yeah. my brain is going towards all those old shorty. School. Shorty was a big Atlanta guy for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, were you the only white writer on that show? It was me and Tom Simmons, uh, okay. like Gar Gary Abdo. Remember Gary? Um, 
That name Garrett Abdo, he used to book, he used to own and run Uptown Comedy Corner in Atlanta, and then okay. he booked some one night, one nighters around Holiday Inns all over the South. But probably competed with you guys back in the day. Yeah, uh, and that was actually one of my transitional jobs. I used to do cold calls to you know the Macon uh, Holiday Inn you know, food and beverage manager or whatever. And, uh, and that's the only time in my life I used a fake name. I went by Chris Poulos just because it was too hard to fucking explain my name. And during a crazy, during a, a cold call to pitch comedy nights to the Valdosta Ramada Inn, like I didn't want to get into a conversation about my name. <laughs> I know a Mark Poulos in, uh, in Minneapolis. You know him? He's Mark very, Poulos. Yeah. yeah. He's a very yeah. funny guy. That's yeah. a shortened name. That's not yeah. his real I name. Just, yeah, correct. I, I, don't, I can't say it's, it starts with a K, and then it's got a lot of O's and U's in it. Right, of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's how we do. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you like uh, being back at your old old hood at your, your parents' place? Is that I do. I love it. It's, it's totally weird, but it's also yeah. – it, it, it's occasionally challenging to – share a space with your mother and for my wife to share a space with her mother-in-law. And right. we sometimes go to Florida to do the opposite, stay with her mother for a okay. little while. We're just on an extended trip to like, cause both of our mothers live in the South. We live in LA and uh, they were uh, completely alone. And we've got a two year old grandchild and we were paying LA rent to be in LA when it's closed. Right. Yeah. So we just put our stuff in a pod and we came for a few months. So we're just on an extended yeah. trip. I know a lot of comedians that are no longer just hanging out in LA for that same reason. Like it's so expensive. I just go back home and just chill for a while and regroup. Right. And, and then, you know, and especially with your mom, probably loving the, uh, the, the, the it's weird how much grand, we all love it. It's yeah, been the so grandmother fun. time, you know, to, um, it's been really great. My is mom has been, she's worked so hard to do all the details and be helpful. She's awesome. She's amazing. Is your two-year-old a boy or a girl? Little girl, Zoe. Little girl. Yeah, so she's probably just loving, just hugging on her every day. So yeah, and both yeah. places have kind of fun stuff. My mom lives kind of you know near a lake, and so we there's a playground, and we go do all this. So we can drive to a little place that has a place where you feed goats, and the other grandma has pool and a beach and a you know Man. very Florida kind of vibe, and so it's nice to have two worlds to kind of bounce back and forth between. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: uh, I was born in Marietta, Georgia. What? I didn't know that. True story. Only I was there for about six months, and that was, okay. I was I was a Navy brat. Moved all over the world after that. But uh, okay. But yeah, that's uh, you know. And I've never been. I know you're big into sports, but uh, and I'm not. But if I ever pull for anybody, it's usually uh, um, Atlanta, just because. Wow. You need a hug. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's why I never really got into sports. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I wish I had followed your lead. <laughs> nice. So I do have another Kostaki story that I uh, like. You know, you know things. I mean, I'm sure you like. Uh, you know, when you hear about other comedians or agents or whatever, you have a story that pops in your head. Um, I don't know if you have any Chuck Johnson stories, whatever. But this is one that I do remember uh, vividly of you, and it's the. Do you know where I'm going with this? I don't. I was just thinking of my own story. All right. All right. I'll, I'll let you tell your story first. And then if you have a story. Mine's about not Johnson. really about you. It's about the Comedy Zone in Charlotte, which was kind of your okay. flagship home well, for a while. Hey, well, yeah. Joel's on here, too. He's listening. So, uh, yeah, it's it's one big uh, old Comedy Zone family. So It requires a little bit of naming names to get the full joy of the story. Hey, it, I don't care. 
Okay. I'm an open I book. I don't care I don't about it. I don't care either. Else. She was yeah. awful to me. And this is, a, people should know, comics as a group are some of the smartest, funniest, most generous, great souls. Like, of the comics I love. And part of the reason this story sticks with me is because it was such a jarring surprise to work with a comic who is so fucking terrible to me. (laughs) Yes. There we go. This is really what I've waited 20 weeks to really get into a good podcast. I didn't plan to tell the story, but I will. I'm not afraid. That's why I'm here. I was the I was booked to MC the Charlotte uh, Comedy Zone. Uh, the headliner was Diane Ford. Okay. So I come in, uh, talking to the middle act who was some like big city comic who was a little bit fish out of water. Uh, I don't remember his name, but he was you know he was a writerish type, and I was a writerish type from Atlanta. Uh, so I'm standing there chatting with him, and Diane Ford. Uh, walks up to me and goes, don't say this, don't do that, do it this way. When you introduce me, do it. she gave me, she literally, and I, and I literally, she didn't say hi to me. She literally didn't, you know, and I go, hi, I'm Kostaki. She didn't laugh at that. Uh, How long my, were you in, uh, in the business at this point? I was pretty green. If I All mean, right. I, I, it's possible I went there a little bit overqualified, but probably not. I was, okay. I was an MC. Yeah. Um, uh, it was probably right after I got those pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, put like, well, in, we got to get him on, get him in there. He's got put him in pants. the good room. He, he, you know. I mean, I had this Lacoque Le, Le, Le sportif uh, matching uh, pants and jacket. I got to get him in there. Just got back from Jasper, Alabama, or some godforsaken gig. <laughs> put him in the good club. Uh, uh, yeah, probably. Uh, so uh, she was really weird to me like immediately for no reason like i didn't even know her i never met her she didn't say hi to me she just started telling me things i needed to do which again people who are watching may not know that's not really her place i mean you want to make a pleasant request for something fine so uh go on stage i you know i'm pretty clean i'm pretty clean anyway uh the middle's pretty clean whatever uh she complains about something I said. I think I said the word vagina at some point. I did a thing. I, my my rule at the time was if someone asked me to be clean, I do what I could do on Conan O'Brien. That was sort of it was like yeah, adult sense. adult, but not you know no language. Uh, she didn't she didn't think the vagina chunk was acceptable. <laughs> Whatever. So we debated a little bit. Uh, I decide all right, I won't do it. And literally the next show. She says the word cunt in the first 20 <laughs> seconds of her act. And that's not an exaggeration. And again, it's fine by me, but you can't tell the other people on the show to be clean when you open with cunt. That's not fair. That's not a reasonable I've, request. I've heard that story, not from her, but from so many comedians and time and time, uh, um, you know, from years past. And do you think it's just because if you were going to throw that you know, out there in the comedy universe on stage that you just want to be the first person for the shock value. And that's why you don't want anybody. I mean, that's a serious question because I hear, hear that a lot of like dirty comedians that are, that don't want anybody to do anything dirty in front of them just to kind of, you know, just kind of sucker punch them with the, with the, uh, with the vulgarities out of the gate. I just, yeah, that's, that's part of it. But I, yeah. I, I'll go one step deeper. Yes. The answer to that is yes, but it's one step deeper than that. Being, funny is very hard to follow and being dirty is makes it easier to be funny in most 
American comedy clubs. So they can't tell you not to be funny, but they could tell you, don't say this or that. And it makes it harder to be funny. Hilarious and clean is very hard to follow too. Right. But dirty and dirty and hilarious is, is even harder. So it's just the one thing that you could say to try to dampen down the heat you're getting from the thing in front of you, especially when you're old and bitter and haven't worked on your act in 20 years as a, for instance, Diane Ford. So <laughs> Diane Ford, I think, has the chops to be great, but she Wait, was she's not... trying to get into the, the, the podcast yeah, right now. Hold yeah, on. That's right. Yeah. Come on in. Let's, <laughs> let's talk it through. But she wasn't working. She didn't care. And she was, she was, she was dead inside. That might, you know, she wasn't a good comic at that time. That doesn't mean that she wasn't before then or wouldn't be since, but that week she wasn't good. And she was leaning on all these crazy rules to try to survive. And so I was newish to comedy and I was fascinated by this. And I was literally debating whether or not it was the job of the two comics in front of the headliner to set up the show for them, or if it was the job of every comic to do their best them and for the show to be a mosaic of different things. And I was having this discussion with Diane on the way home in the car. I was giving her a ride to the condo. Oh boy. Yeah. And <laughs> I because I was, because <laughs> I'm like a thoughtful, interested comedy nerd. I wanted to right. talk this through with her. You're like a sponge. Just soak it all up. And like, I was you young know, and I was yeah. interested. I wasn't combative. I was interested in hearing what she had to say. And at one point uh, I said the phrase, well, it's not like you're Brian Regan up there. <laughs> and she made me stop the car and she got out and walked the rest no of way. the way. Yeah, she didn't want to talk to me anymore. How far of a walk did she have to go? It was several hundred yards, and I pulled up alongside. I go, well, come on, we're just having a conversation. No, she shut me down. And for the rest of the weekend, I would introduce her and walk off stage one direction, and she would come on the other way. I was about to ask, what day of the week was this? She didn't talk to me the rest of the time. And she tried to get me fired. And to your credit, the Comedy Zone had dealt with her being difficult before and told her that they would not be firing me. Nice. So you guys had my back, which yes. totally shocked me. I just expected to be fired after that. Yeah. Well, yeah, unfortunately, in this business, uh, there's a lot of prima donnas. And you yeah. know, we have to deal with them accordingly. And, and um, you know, I always, you know, especially, you know, once I kind of, you know, when I started my own company and went a lot more towards the college market, I was that was the first thing. Like, I don't need drama. I like because I dealt with so many people in the in the club market in, in that aspect, and I was like, man, that's that's too much. <laughs> There's too many other good comics that that are nice and and mail me gifts. That of I don't course, need right? To, of course. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. Headaches, so. Why would you? It's amazing to me that a comic who's a giant pain in the ass could even continue to work. There's so many nice guys who are hilarious that you've never heard of. There's yeah. a sea of them. Absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. thousands of them. So, right. um, yeah. All right. Well, that's a good story. So have you talked to her ever since then? I've or? never, I've never seen her since I know I would. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not still mad about it, but I do think that she should be called out. If someone's going to ask me to tell a story, I'm not ashamed to. Yeah. It's her fault. She was awful to me. <laughs> Wait, Joel says something else. Hold on. 
Uh, that was a week I screwed up with uh, his name, bringing him up from the back of the room. Please <laughs> welcome your host, Kostaki Ekonomapa something. <laughs> yeah, see, that's not memorable to me because that happened 1,000 times. <laughs> Ekonomapa something. That, maybe yeah. that's your new stage name. Ekonomapa something. every version. I had to write a good joke about the guy just screwing up my name because uh, Economics. 80, 80% of the time. Kostaki Economics. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. My so, all right, so, so my story uh, with you, um, I, it, I still feel it in my comedy heart. Um, it was, um, I had started Summit Comedy in 98, so it was pretty fresh after that. So I want to say uh, 99, 2000 tops, and I uh, got involved with this uh, shady promoter in um, Vegas. And um, Oh! And, <laughs> here we go. And... Um, it was going well for about eight weeks or so. <laughs> I forgot this. <laughs> I remember this very and well. And let's just say it's the ninth week. Um, so the ninth week, um, there was something. Was a, there was a glitch in the in the matrix? Something, but he wasn't returning my calls or emails or whatever it was. And, and then I got a phone call from the, um, um, I guess the entertainment director at the casino who I had never spoken with. And that's that was a, an error early on in my comedy career. Like, hey, you can't just talk to one person. You got to get your hands involved in everybody and you know make sure this is a legitimate operation cuz I was just dealing with this guy and we had I had booked you for this um, casino. And when you showed up, they said there's no more comedy here. <laughs> We did one show. Uh, oh, okay. You did the. We oh, did wait, one no, show, and I then do, they canceled the whole club. I do remember this. And um, hold on. And okay, Mark Evans is watching now too. Mark, can you remember the guy's name? Um, I want to say his name was Robert Burke. If that's the name, I can't remember. It put could it in the, be. Put it in the comments if so. Um, holy shit! I felt first of all, I felt <laughs> so bad, and I can't remember the feature you had with you, um, but I do remember it was you. And you were both there, and I guess the deal was the um, the uh, that guy said, "Well, if we'll do a show, if if Kostaki can get people in here." So I remember telling you, like, "All right, well, I guess you have to just go like busk on the on the on on a pavement and try and get people in there." We, we're, I think if I it's been a long time ago, but if I remember right, we're the ones who pitched yeah. that to him. Like, it's he, quite possible, yeah. He said, well, there's no, I can't, the promotion isn't working. I can't get anybody in here. And I go, look, we have a contract. You're, you're, you're supposed to pay me X and we're supposed to do this. I, I flew. I had opportunity costs. I'm here. What are you talking about? You can't not do a show tomorrow. So yeah. we had this big conversation. And I understand that comedy is a delicate craft and sometimes things get fucked up. And I'm not a, I'm not a, I wasn't a child at that point. I was, I was a jaded old grown up, you know, running around telling jokes. And I was like, look, we're, willing to try to figure something out and help you uh if you want and somewhere in that conversation they got angry and kicked us out of the hotel they wouldn't even let us sleep there yeah i and and i had friends coming in from out of town to like run around in vegas and like gamble and i was going to tell jokes and we were going to go play poker and we had this whole thing set up yeah did you go did you stay the rest of the week or or no we actually had one of those like movie scenes where I was in a poker room and got a message on my phone that we were kicked out of the hotel and we ran 
to a, the other casino that we weren't in to get our shit because we thought it was going to be gone. It was. It got ugly where the guy was furious at yeah. me, and I'm like, I just can't. I didn't even know the deal. I'm just a comic who came here to tell jokes. Right. The shit rolls downhill. I'm not even part of the business situation that's happening around me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Again, I wasn't aware of this guy until that first conversation, and it was not a pleasant one. And and the the unfortunate thing it was Robert Burke, and unfortunately Robert Burke um, was um, stealing from them as well. Um, maybe not stealing. He had never paid them, I guess, the outstanding monies due to them. So therefore, they were quite upset with him, then upset with you, and then talking to me, who, who they didn't know me from Adam, and they're like, you're dead to me. But the, the long story short was, is I told you that I would pay you um, regardless. And I did pay you out of my pocket. And the thing is, I didn't have $1,200. I was so broke. <laughs> Just starting my company. I mean, I was literally like just, I mean, I did right. two nickels rubbed together. And I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. I was like, where the hell am I going to get $1,200? I mean, right. to, to give you. And, but I made work. I, I made true to my word and I paid you. You did. So, you did. So. And the reason, the reason that we had, we landed on that is because we did some other thing like the year prior that fell through. And generally when things fall through, Everyone shrugs and is sad, and then you swallow hard and you move on. Yeah. Uh, and so it was the second thing that we had booked together that fell through. And this time it wasn't like it fell through in a few weeks or whatever. I had already done a show, and then the thing was canceled for the rest of the week. Uh, so it was extra insane for them to decide they weren't paying anybody. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I mean, it still makes, again, my comedy heart hurt on that because that was the biggest burn I, like in, in my entire career. And, and it, unfortunately, it screwed over so many comedians because, you know, right. not only you, I mean, but everybody else was booked for the next six, eight weeks or whatever. Right. You know, right. Gingerly trying to get them all taken care of. And even the weeks before where he would, um, you know, we didn't find out that he was bouncing the checks. So then those comedians oh. uh, were screwed. And um, they, uh, yeah, that's crazy. I I think a lot of them still got paid though. Um, it took a long time, but um, they sued um uh, the the fella, and it went through um, the um, oh really? Yeah, it went through the um I guess whatever the um, the county is there, and they filed a. I guess if you bounce a check over five hundred dollars, it's a felony. So they can you imagine how often that happens in Las Vegas? <laughs> right. <laughs> But they did get paid. Uh, it's someone's job to keep up with all that shit. Yeah. Mark Evans says he got paid three years later. What? Yeah. Um, he was a part of it. Uh, I remember Jesse Campbell. Um, Pat Godwin was another one. Um, those are the ones that just kind of come to my name, uh, come to my brain right now. But holy shit. But again, I, that was just a time in my business where I was like, you know what? And that's where I was like, I can't do this. Like this whole club market <laughs> shit. Like... Like I can't deal with like you know the headaches, so I it's switched such a over challenge, man. more yeah. to the uh, corporate and the colleges where that shit doesn't happen. So, right. See, I know. see now because of my exposure on Bob and Tom, I have become sort of like a low rent. Um, trying to think of somebody who does this sort of thing a lot. Stanhope. I'm sort of a low rent Stanhope, where I go into band bars and build my own shows a lot. Yeah. And sometimes, in fact, that's the shirt I'm wearing. This was a great bar that I worked in. Uh, it's the second oldest brewery in all of uh, all of the country. Nice. Uh, Ter Terre Haute Brewing Company is a great music venue. Um, so 
I, I will go. I think I was supposed to be on Terre Haute this weekend or one of these weekends. Uh, oh, really? Anaka uh, this uh, this uh, season. Anaka, I guess whatever the the, the Mid America was in Terre Haute, and I'd never been to Indiana. It's one of the few states I've never been to. For what oh, really? reason I've never been. Indiana, was, you've never been to. That's crazy been, as a comedy. Booker, I'm only yeah. missing. I'm only missing five states, and Indiana's one of them. So oh that's, wow, that's, that's random. So yeah, so. Yeah, now Sorry. this place is great, but not all places are. I mean, you know, no one knows better than you do. The people who own bars are not, as a group, the best, uh, the most stable, uh, you know, have their shit together right. people. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's very labor intensive. And very often when you get to the thing, you're like, there's some X, Y, Z. And you're like, well, we agreed on X, Y, Z. Why isn't X happening? And you have to have this whole conversation about straightening it out. It's now just Z. Sorry. Yeah, it's Z. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's you right. Might, you might get a portion of what you uh, were uh, were told that you're gonna get paid, and you might yeah. get paid in uh, in drugs. You know. Now, actually, know. <laughs> I've been I've been lucky, and I also am in a situation where I usually use the uh, I usually use the radio station as a little triangle with the venue, and so all of the parties are driven to please the other parties because of the Bob and Tom connection. So right. usually, I'm safe from getting completely screwed. But, you know, there's details that fall through the cracks. I've actually been lucky. I've only been totally screwed like maybe two times in 26 years of full-time right. comedy. Tell those stories now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> one was a club. Ripping up old Band-Aids. The only, the only big one was a club that was in – it was a brand-new club that went under like the between my week and the next week – and they they just never sent the check that they were going to send. It just never they just disappeared into the ether. It was a little club that just disappeared. And I talked to a lawyer friend. He's like, well, you can, you know, yeah, you can spend the next few years right. trying to get your nineteen hundred dollars or whatever. Unfortunately, it was. that's that's the thing in this business. You're going to spend twenty five hundred dollars to get five hundred or whatever. Right. You know, right. it's like most of the time it the 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 cost for going down that path costs twice as much of right. what you would even get out of it. So and it's, it's like, a little right. That's right. And yeah, and, and it's like my and dad they know that like, probably. That's why they know probably that. why they're like, eh, screw that guy. So it's either a they know that and they're leveraging that against you ever coming, or b they lost fifty thousand and can't possibly pay you the seventeen hundred. Yeah. And that's why we're in this spot in the first place. So you can't squeeze blood out of a rock. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes if, it's it's like the restaurant business, and, but worse, it seems like a sexy thing. But if you go into it not knowing what you're doing, you can lose a lot of money in the blink of an eye, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So, so yeah, so <laughs> dealing deal with those people, are, it's really fun over the last 20-something <laughs> years. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, all right. So, tell uh, the audience a little bit about uh, so Bob and Tom. You you're uh, a regular on Bob and Tom. How did that become? Uh, I guess a, such a cush gig for you. Oh, it's been great. They changed my career. The only thing I ever wanted was to go places and for people to buy tickets to come see me on purpose. And you know, I'm not a big star or anything, but I am on that ladder, and it changes everything. You know, if you can draw some people to come see you, it doesn't have to be a thousand, but if it's you know, you got yeah. two, you got 200 people there when it would have been 17, it changes everything. Or even if it's 80 and 42 of them came to see you, it changes everything. So yeah. creatively you could do 
anything you want when they come and they know and like you before you start. And of course, all of the other details are improved too. You work better venues and the money's better and the you know, hotel's better and the setup's better and the sound is better and the crowds are smarter. And, you know, so yeah, basically I, I did exactly what comics do when they're new to Bob and Tom. I was the middle act at crackers in indianapolis and they would have me in for 10 minutes at the end of the morning after the headliners were on and i didn't suck and then they would have me in eventually when i was a headliner and eventually they uh i did the show so many times in the recent year or two that i basically had didn't have any good jokes left that they hadn't heard. And I was kind of panicked and I used to write for the complete sheet, which was a prep service uh, for people who don't know radio stations get this prep service. It's like a 50 page document every morning that has urban music news and black music news. And these are the birthdays and these are some caller ID ideas. And they had a section with topical jokes in it that I used to write for. Oh, okay. So I did a, I did a segment on their show uh, called, topical sounding jokes these are jokes that sound like they're from this week but aren't so it's kind of a funny so you gag. created that i just i just made it up as a panic because i'd done all my good jokes as an excuse to do 20 of my favorite jokes from the complete sheet from the prior year so it was all things that were a little bit evergreen like uh pac-man turned 30 that's a long time to be chased by little demons. Just ask Robert Downey Jr. It was all like, it was 20 of those. I giggled. And, yeah, right. And, yeah, because I wrote, you know, 1,500 and I picked the 20 good ones. Yeah. So uh, the stars aligned and it killed. They loved it and couldn't wait. And they got like a rim shot machine and they would come back from a break and go, you got another one of those topical sounding jokes. And I would do a couple and they laughed and they would go on to another segment. So after the show, Tom pulls me aside and he goes, do you think you could do that every week? And I said, yes, I can. And of course I could not, but I didn't say that. Uh, Any comedian always says, of course. Yes, please <laughs> always say yes. Do you have an hour? Of course. Figure it out later. Now that I've never done, but I understand the motivation. The last like two comedians I've had on here, uh, uh, I've had that scenario. Do you have an hour? Of course I do. And they didn't at the time. Oh, so, I right. <laughs> I was always the opposite. I was always the last one anyone bumped up. So I always had way more than I was doing at the oh, time. Well, that's good. Uh, so, yeah, so they were very generous and they let me figure out what the segment was. It was like a running gag on the show that I didn't know exactly what it was. And I would try a different style of thing every time. One time I did true stories and one time I did Karnak style jokes. And one time I did, uh, you know, I just, it, it became, it slowly became the economy monologue. Okay. And so every week was a different subject. I would do anything that had bullet points. Like phobias. Was this a set thing like every Monday or every Tuesday? Yeah, type yeah every Wednesday at 820, I would call and do the Econom monologue. Nice. And so it was phobias. It was weird sports traditions. It was Halloween, whatever. And I would, it would just, I just, it was just a writing exercise. Can I write 12 good jokes about phobias? And the answer was surprisingly yes. So, did you ever have to get help from your other comedy friends? Yes, no. mostly right, like, Tom oh, Simmons. I, I've got six. Tom, hook me up. <laughs> Tom Simmons saved my ass over and over nice. and over. And, and we Tom's would work together. Guy. We would work on the jokes, and I would run them in the clubs and 
polish them up and get them ready to go. And it was like this crazy cycle every week. It was a race to Wednesday morning. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So then <clears throat> eventually that worked so well. I was starting to sell some tickets in Funny Bones and places. And I thought, oh, I want to do this, but more. So I pitched uh, the all NFL topical joke version to sports radio. And while I was doing that and sports radio was telling me, nah, we don't do that. Uh, Bob and Tom liked that even more than the other thing I was doing. So it became an all NFL joke segment. And that's what I still do. Every Tuesday morning, I call them and wrap up the weekend that was in the NFL. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They've they've been great to me. Now, um, do you get paid now? And did you get paid before? Or was there a, a, for those, for doing the call-in things? Or is that, or or is it kind of like a, the piggybackness of going out and doing the Bob and Tom comedy tour? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, the original model was, to do the show almost the same way that Brad Pitt does the tonight show. It's not for the $900. It's for the exposure for the movie, right? Right. It's the same model. It's the main thrust of what you're doing it for is to go sell tickets in Terre Haute. Um, because now I've been on the show more weeks than not for 12 years. And now when I go to Boise, people know who I am and that's worth a lot. Um, so it's really changed my career in that way. And then in the most recent years, the past few years, I syndicated it and I have several other places that I call. I call Buffalo and Albuquerque and Kansas City and Minneapolis. And so then I can, I can, I'm kind of building this football brand. And just this week, I launched All Pro Lines, which is, you know, soon to be the best uh, football comedy brand on the internet. That's awesome, just starting man. it. But it's so, been fun. So when you say uh, those other markets, are those non-Bob and Tom markets that you're syndicated out to? As well? Yeah. Originally, I went to non-Bob and Tom markets. And then it became a big pain in the ass for the syndicator to go, well, we can do this any city in the country except for these 117 cities that you want to sell it in. Uh, so, yes, for the most part, the cities that don't have Bob and Tom are the ones that want it because it's not already associated with something in their market. So it ends up being kind of a natural thing that it falls to the other markets. Okay. Um, well, but I'm I have not- done it in the afternoons in some Bob and Tom markets and some places that have been great to me. I'm familiar with Bob and Tom. Uh, they were in Charlotte at one point in time, but they didn't last too long. I don't know what happened there, but they. Uh, but I know throughout the Midwest, it's it's huge. Um, so right. Um, so if you're listening, that's kind of where that I guess that the big. They're out of Indy, right? They're out of Indy, and it's like any. It's like anything. There are some places where they're barely heard of, and there are some places where they are gigantic gods. I mean, yeah. that people have been listening for 30 years, and it's the it's their tradition in the morning to listen to those guys on the way to work. Um, yeah, like in Charlotte's Bud, uh, John Boy and Billy, I mean, right. for the southern crowd. So. Yeah, John Boy and Billy, they're in about 70-something cities all over the place, so it's, it's a similar concept. They're the Midwest version of John Boy and Billy, but like John Boy and Billy, they've reached out beyond the Midwest. They're, they're huge in Medford, Oregon, you know, they're big in Idaho. Um, so it just, you know, it's like anything, it depends how it lands and how it's sort of embraced. Nice. Yeah. So, um, and, but that show is now just Bob or Tom, right? One of them has left. Yeah. Bob retired, but they okay. kept the branding. 
Okay. And people always ask me about that. And the, the hilarious, the most hilarious example of that is a guy named Kid Craddock, who had a big radio show in Texas. He died, and the Kid Craddock show continues on. <laughs> He's not even – I mean, that's one it's guy's like, name. It's like, yeah, Tom Joyner radio show, and like, oh, no, he's dead. No, he's not yeah. dead, but he's retired. But, yeah, it would be like carrying that torch, I guess. That would be hard. Imagine uh, getting that gig. You're like – you're going in a radio, and then you – Hey, here's the deal. You're gonna DJ, and you're gonna come into these this show, and you're gonna, you know, on the heels of this guy. Yeah, it's, it's it. funny, but they had an actual business decision to make, and they decided to keep the branding uh, because it takes you 30 years to build a brand that strong. You don't want right. to just go, oh, it's the Tom Show now, and restart the whole. I get it. No, and I the show of obviously became more than just Bob and Tom. Chick McGee's a big part of it, and they've got other voices on the show. And and, and Chris, you know, Christy Lee, right? Christy Lee's there. been there thirty years. She left and came back, if I remember correctly. She was gone about six months, somewhere in oh, there. Okay. Yep. Cool. Uh, I thought it was and, longer, but, okay. and of course, Bob is still on in bits that they still play, and comes in and does race week, and you know. He, he loves doing a couple of their big special events, and he'll occasionally come in and co-host when somebody's out. So he's still there a little bit. Bob's great. Yeah, I know a lot of comedians still, you know, uh, are still, I don't want to say riding that those coattails, but, like, the, yeah. definitely they have put a lot of comedians on the map. Uh, oh, mean, sure. Pat, Pat Godwin's doing stuff with them still, I believe. Yeah, and yeah, I he's there saw- daily now. He graduated into a whole full-time gig-ish, nice. you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they were really big on the uh, music comedy, um, if I remember right. correctly. So, um, well, it's yeah. easy. Music comedy is easier to enjoy over and over again. Right. Especially for, <laughs> plus, yeah, obviously right. being a you know music you know radio station, so they kind of would blend the two a lot easier that way. Too, but they have so. a non-song format. I mean, they're all talk in the mornings. There aren't many places that do just comedy and talk. You know. Yeah. So yeah, they they sort of set themselves apart, and they've had a hell of a run. I mean, they were on the. They were on the vanguard of that syndication wave, you know, 15 years ago-ish. Yeah. I can't and, think of, uh, besides them and John Boy and Billy and a few others, I can't think of any other ones that are out there like that in that syndicated world. So. There's a few, there, but they're the giants of that ilk. Yeah. yeah. Have you yeah. tried to get in with those other ones uh, with your with your sports? Uh... A little bit, but I, I stopped trying so hard because there's overlap and you don't want to sort of bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah, absolutely. If you start looking at the map of the places where, you know, beer and hot wings are being played in the mornings, there's a lot of Bob and Tom markets. So not only would it aggravate the Bob and Tom universe, but the beer and hot wings universe doesn't want to have some. So it just becomes like, ah, I'll go call Buffalo where neither of those guys are. (laughs) Yeah, well. It sounds like you're doing okay with the uh, with the with the work opportunities that they have given you. So it's, they've been so, great. So they've completely changed my existence. I owe them everything, and they're fun and they're generous. You know, they and they know what they're doing. That's another thing. I mean, you know, you've been in the business a long time. Some morning radio people don't know what to do with a comedian. It's a they, it scares the hell out of them. Right. They don't know how to set up the jokes or whatever. They they don't know how to come in and out. They don't know when to give space. They don't know when to jump in. Step on your jokes, et cetera. They're they're good at some parts of being DJs but not interviewing. Or even worse, this is another classic archetype. They're threatened by comics and stomp on you and don't let you be funny on their show. Yeah. Um, So there's lots of types that are out there that aren't. The prima donnas. Those are the prima donnas that don't. They're not a good match. Don't take my uh, star quality away. Right. They're not a good match for having a comic on. And most of them are nice guys that just 
are terrified by talking to a comic because it is scary because they could take over your show. They could be terrible and not funny that you could set them up and then it just lays there. I mean, I understand that having a comic on is absolutely a challenge. Yeah, I think uh, Diane Ford's trying to get a syndicated show. <laughs> She's going to have you on first guest. <laughs> tell, her I have some, tell her I have a story I'd like to share. She well, wouldn't awesome. even remember that. She she was probably like that to a hundred guys. Yeah, it was just her routine. So, yeah. dude, man. Well, uh, it was so good chatting with you and catching up with you, man. It's been too long since uh, we chatted. So, uh, what a pleasure. Yeah, man. Uh, man, thanks for paying me. That hour. That yes, you're absolutely welcome. Seriously, that's a legit thank you because you got screwed too. I mean, we were all victims in this crazy uh, well, situation. You're, you're welcome, man. Thanks for. Uh, you always made me look good anytime I booked you. So. Um, so I appreciate you. So that's kind. You should know just for, to wrap up that story. I took the money that I thought I was going to get eventually and paid for the hotel. And my friends and I went down the street and stayed there the whole weekend as planned. I just didn't come home with any money at the end. Well, but, maybe, maybe won something at the craps table or something. Yeah, right. Probably, <laughs> probably won some money at the poker table. I don't uh, know. That's awesome, man. Well, so do you have a, uh, go ahead and plug all your, uh, your stuff with your, your podcast and, and, and your new um, sports show and such. Yeah. Well, I'm on Bob and Tom every week wrapping up the weekend that was, but my two big plugs are all pro lines. I got, I literally got the URL and the main name on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter in the last week. Nice. And I did a title search and I talked to my lawyer and he said, uh, just start the damn thing. So I did, I put together some sort of hold, hold the place logos and I spent all weekend writing and going bananas online. So come find me all pro lines, all pro lines.com. I own, but there's nothing there yet. But I all pro lines. Net. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's and dot crypto sorry no one will ever look at that you can have that one uh so come come join me on all pro lines and the podcast is called quick snaps and that's every week during the football season and about once a month in the off season. All these things are free. They're just football. They're places to engage with football comedy. Come find me. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. Kostaki. Um, good luck getting through all this COVID mess and we'll see you on the other side of everything. Thanks so much, man. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. All right, man. Deuces. All right, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week. If you need a comedian for anything, if you need a book, Kostaki for anything, go to summitcomedy.com and uh, we'll see you next week. Later. Later.